Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We are translating to many different languages for for our listeners outside the country. The call in number tonight is 619-924-9744 to call in and listen to the show, or you can ask questions after the initial interview. And the Paranormal and the Sacred Airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I also have a little thing I do on Sunday mornings, Sacred Sunday, and it airs every Sunday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. During the show, I can take questions in order in chat. You may call in with your question and speak with our honored guest. Any buzzkillers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out and similarly abused. So do not bug me, and I won't bug you. Be polite and play nice. I just have a, just a couple of little announcements. Uh, tune in to the Paranormal Angels every Wednesday night. I love these people, okay? It's Marsha Becker and Geraldine Bouse. I love them. So please check in. It's every Wednesday night. And the call-in number is 718-664-6407. And you can find them on Blog Talk Radio, www.blogtalkradio.com. And then seek out Paranormal Angels every Wednesday. They're a great group. Okay, it's down to the deadline. As you know, today is Friday. So tomorrow, December 13th, is Cyril's annual holiday party aboard the Queen Mary in Long Beach. And it starts at 7 p.m., so you have a nice long time to get ready. And please contact Yvonne Smith. Uh, we already have all of our reservations in, and all of us, all of us have paid. It's about 59 bucks each, plus parking. We get a special rate for parking. Bring a gift for a gift exchange, and it's really the party of the year. And it's really a lot of fun. And uh, there might be special uh, room or uh, at the end uh, if you haven't got your tickets yet. So... Uh, I suggest going to the website to check out uh, if there's still any openings and uh, room for dinner. They may be able to get an additional table. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but you might want to take your chances because, you know, the place is haunted and you might want to go on the tour or whatever. Anyway, the site is www.cerointernational.com and go to the donation spot, send in your money, and you can also contact and send a note through... Uh, to Yvonne Smith through there. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck getting in. And uh, I I know that uh, it's, it's so much fun. I go there every year, and it's such a blast. I'm telling you, it's very exciting. So just, um, I think, make your way over there. I can't be sure, 
but you can try because, you know, I don't like to turn away people for anything and I want everybody to have a good time. So anyway, uh, we're getting ready for tonight's guest. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. I'm going to do his intro and bio right now. And tonight's guest, uh, we welcome Bill Konkoliski. And he's the state director of the Michigan chapter of the MUFON UFO Network and a regular lecturer at the UFO phenomena at conferences, public libraries, and other venues. His personal abduction experiences and have been featured in Sci-Fi's Abduction Diaries, ABC's Seeing is Believing, and the do- documentary uh, Abducted by Aliens, UFO Encounters of the Fourth Crime, and as well as his autobiographical book, which we're going to be discussing tonight too, is Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds. It's a nonfiction autobiography of a man reflecting on his childhood experience coping with the strange and terrifying phenomena society refers to as alien abduction. He has additionally consulted with for history's channels, the UFO hunters, and the science channels uncovering aliens. So I'm going to try to get him through, and uh, I'm going to actually try to call him now. Let's see. It always takes me a minute. Um, he's he's trying to fix it right now, so I do have a a note, and he's well aware um, of us over here. So I might even try to call him in. So just take us a couple minutes, and just uh, have chat on. Everything is cool here on my side. And uh, let me try to call him and see what happens. You never know. Here. Okay, Bill, we're waiting for you. So I'm actually give you a call, and uh, we'll see if it picks up on our side, and uh, hopefully this is cool. I'm calling you, Bill, so if you're listening, pick up. It's us. The paranormal is sacred. So let's see if we can get in here. It has been so rainy over here in California. I don't know if everybody... And other states are aware of this, but we have had some horrible rock slides and whole mountains coming down and rain, and we're just not used to all this rain. So, um, you know, it's this been pretty Bill bad. This is Bill of Michigan MUFON. I'm not available right now. If you are okay. calling to report a UFO sighting, please fill out the report UFO form on MUFON.com. If you don't have access to a computer, please leave me a voicemail message now very briefly describing your event and a MUFON investigator will call you back at the number from which you called. Thank you. What a pleasant recording. Anyway, on the other line. Let's see what we can do here. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hi. Is this Bill? Uh, Yes. uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, You know what? Uh, I don't think we – I think we just crank-called you on your line, so you're going to have a message from us. Anyway – Welcome to the paranormal and the sacred. You're live. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I did hear the tail end of my voicemail there. I was having weird yeah. phone issues, but uh, hopefully got it cleared up, and hopefully I sound okay. And so uh, we're good. I'm good anyway. You sound great. Like, what state are you in? You Michigan. Tell me. Okay, Michigan. You know, we're. I don't know if you're watching the news, but we're having some horrible rain issues. Uh, it's coming down in buckets, and the whole, like, rock mountains are coming down, like three feet of just rocks and boulders knocking down everybody's houses wow. and stuff. I don't know if you're watching it, but so there's a lot of power outages, and I wasn't thinking that right until I 
was waiting for you to call. I was thinking, oh, boy, I hope everything's okay in Michigan. Yeah, we actually got clobbered a um, couple months ago. Um, just about everybody in my city and the surrounding cities had flooding in their basement, and it was just awful. Like the next-door neighbor came running over to the house saying, oh, my gosh, my basement's flooding. I'm like, yes, my basement's flooding too. And then the next next door neighbor comes out, my basement is flooding. And, oh, my gosh, just, yeah, for the following couple weeks, just watching the piles and piles of garbage along the street from all the people from flood damage. You know, it's horrible because we have friends, uh, actually our occasional um, co-host, he's up in Glendora, and that's they have to put all that sandbags and stuff and all that going on because it, it floods right. Because remember that all the big fires were over here, so it's, that's in the place. It's in the same spot as the big fires, so there's nothing holding all that water back. So it's oh pretty serious that people, I know, it's pretty serious that people don't want to leave their homes. I don't blame them. But then again, mm-hmm. when I see the waterfall coming down full of rocks, I, I want to be elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the anyway, other side of the coast, and, mm-hmm. I was going to say in Buffalo, where they got more snow in one day than they usually get all winter, and in Buffalo, oh they're saying a lot. Buffalo. Poor Buffalonians. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I, was a, I lived upstate New York mm-hmm. for a while when I was a kid, and my mom was born there, and uh, it would get so cold it would get 20 below, but it was always colder in Buffalo. So mm-hmm. they're freezing their butts off up there, but... Um, anyway, I just want to, I was reading, um, your biography and it's very interesting, um, and, and I want to introduce you to all of our listeners and, uh, Bill, why don't you tell us where you grew up and, uh, how this whole thing started tell us your history. Yeah, I grew up in Sterling Heights, Michigan, which is just, uh, north of Detroit, um, if any of you are familiar with the uh, M&M movie Eight Mile, I grew up on 16 Mile, um, so just a little bit north of Detroit. And the <clears throat> first memory I have in life is actually an encounter memory. Uh, two years old, um, I'm in my crib. A little gray guy comes up to the crib and looks down at me. I scream for my parents, my parents just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, our kids yelling, you know, go back to sleep, go back to sleep, and they never came into the room. And so the little gray guy just continued to stare at me for a few moments and then got up and walked out. And uh, this wasn't a memory that came back years later or that I needed regression to remember that the little gray guy was there. Um, This memory um, it just burned into me the moment it happened and it never left. And it wasn't until many years later that um, I started to see this little gray guy. Um, well, I'd had several contacts in life, but it wasn't until my teen years where I started to see, like, for example, Whitley Strieber's Communion and other books and the Bud Hopkins books. And I like that is exactly that what came to my crib um, back when I was two years old and what had come to visit me several times throughout my childhood, and nobody could really define for me. My family, um, I grew up in a house that was also somewhat haunted, and we had poltergeist activity. Um, my brother had seen a ghost in his room, things like that. And so 
my family sort of defined what was happening to me as probably just some sort of version of of ghostly activity. But what I was having was so far outside of that that um, I don't think anybody really, even myself, knew how to put a handle on it. So what were your experiences and what, uh, so you're saying the the entity or the alien or whatever that visited you was the one, the little people with the big black eyes. Yes, yes, it was. And it like um, I... Was it a version or what did your, what year was this, by the way? Uh, 1973, it was in the spring. And I would say that although the eyes had much in common with the, the Whitley Strieber cover of Communion, the entity, uh, its head was a bit more bulbous. It was um, it's short, about three feet tall. And um, through my life, I'd seen many other, I'd seen them on many other occasions. Also, um, some other types of beings I had seen um, in conjunction with them. Um, I'd also seen a five-foot version of them. Uh, that seemed to be distant from the three-foot version in, in several ways. Also, um, I'd seen some hybrids, uh, or I should say I saw one hybrid in my life, but I've seen her twice. And then also um, I had a, a, a run-in with a, a mantis um, late in my teen years, and luckily that was not a recurring experience because those things are, are exceptionally frightening. It's horrifying because you have a chapter in your book uh, about it. And then you uh, tell them uh, about your book, too, because that's one of the chapters about the mantis. Sure. Um, First, a a little bit about my book, and then maybe I could jump um, right into the mantis part of it. The book um, is um, intended, was intended to be part of a series of books, I, it's called Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds, and it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You could go to my website, experiencer.me, experiencer.me, or uh, another one of my websites where I have a personal newsletter, experiencer.us or experiencer.us. And <clears throat> so the book uh, covers my roughly about my first 20 years in life. Since I'd had these types of experience all through my life, I had to figure out how to put the information out. Um, and uh, upon reviewing several different ways to do it, um, this first one I decided to focus on what it was like simply growing up and having this type of experience, hence raised in two worlds, where I was having uh, out-of-body experiences with these little guys being physically taken by them, having all sorts of interaction with them, all at the same time when, you know, the the common world view is that this doesn't exist. It's it's made up. It's not real. But it was very real. And nothing in my Catholic upbringing uh, touched on anything like this either. And so it was tough. I could never fit the pieces together. And I think uh, you know, when I grew up and I started to network with other people who'd had experiences, come to find out that, yeah, everyone says I had that memory when I was four, when I was five, when I was two, when I was seven, and it kept coming. And so it's actually a fairly common aspect of the phenomena that people grow up 
having these types of things. It's not just something that starts in adulthood. It's, it's nothing that just ends in childhood. It's a lifetime sort of thing. And the part um, about this that I think is important is there's been a lot of material out there um, from investigators, abduction investigators, who investigate children who've had these types of encounters and give their opinions and insight. Bud Hopkins was one of them, um, quite well known for his flashcards that he had where he would show um, a child, a policeman, and, you know, all sorts of different um, images of of people uh, that the child might see in everyday life, and he would mix in a a picture uh, of a gray or whatever and, and see how the child would react, as well as some fantasy characters. And there's been there'd been a lot said about um, investigating the children, but not a lot about what it was like being a child, having the memories as a child, growing up into this type of experience. And so that was my angle with my first book. And when I finish it, um, my my thought after that was to roll right into a second book. Um, the title being Experiencer Raised, uh, pardon me, Two Worlds Collide, because the next five years of my life, my early 20s, was a time where my encounters and my day-to-day life intertwined remarkably. And the the story of those five years is just stunning, and I'm in my early 40s now, and, and it still sticks with me. What I've decided to do with the material from the second book is actually release it um, episodically in my quarterly personal newsletter I call the Experiencer Chronicle, where I share a lot of the encounters people have shared with me, as well as um, putting in a chapter of the second book with every um, newsletter of mine, and that's how I'm releasing the second book at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um and if you'd like, I can touch on, on, on the mantis now, which was definitely the second part of that. Um, yeah, go ahead. When I, when, when I was growing up, having these types of experiences, um, when it started off when I was very young, under the age of 10, they would come to me as play friends. You know, they, it was like a little play date whenever they would show up, really friendly, and they would be warm, and I thought of them as just, you know, my fun little buddies, <laughs> And then as I got a little bit older, into my teen years, it took a an as, a physical aspect where they didn't seem to be as cordial with me anymore. It was all about business. It was all about doing things to me physically. And they were, I, they were plugging all my head um, with all sorts of information that I didn't have ready access to is one way to put it. Um, I was being fed data that they said was important for me, but I couldn't, I couldn't access it. I just couldn't, I, I just didn't know what I was being taught. And this was frustrating to me. So I started to, um, you know, you get into your teen years and whatever degree of rebellion you have as a teen, this, I extended onto my experience with these beings that were taking me. I was being resistant um, and as difficult as I could be with them. I thought, well, if, you know, they're not going to play nice, I'm not going to play nice either. And they did not um, have an easy time with me because of this, and they brought me in front of 
the mantis. It seems as though from what I was able to experience that the mantis is, uh, if you think of it sort of as a hierarchical chain, the mantis is a supervisor, director, you know, some sort of leader over the, the greys. At least in my experience, this was a relationship the greys had with this mantis being. They brought me before the mantis to scare me. It was, in my mind, being a teenager, it felt a lot like being taken to the principal's office. So mm-hmm. uh, one night they took me aboard and they had they brought me to this room where the mantis was there. And, yeah, it looks like a, a praying mantis. I used the term mantis to describe it well before I saw anybody else describing a similar being and also actually calling it a mantis. And much like other people's experience, mine um, seemed to be almost comically dressed in what appeared to be like some sort of wizard robe or graduation get-up with a, um, a a high collar on it, on his outfit. And as silly as that sounds, it sure was what he was wearing, and it sure is what other people describe, too, when they have this type of experience. So I'm in front of this thing, and it's ominous. It's fearsome. It is so intense. It has this high, high level of energy that I, I, I just can't get with. It's it's so overpowering. And so instead of looking at it, it, there was a chair they wanted me to sit in in front of it, which was luckily for me facing the other direction. And it came up behind me and it said to me telepathically, you know, you just got to stop resisting us. You have to do what we say. Um, once we're done um, with you, you'll understand why we why we do the things that we do, and you'll be fine. Just go along with what we say, and everything will be okay. And with that, they um, took me out and dropped me off, and um, it was the last I saw the mantis. And while I don't know that I can say that um, our relationship improved immediately, um, I got the message that they had a lot of firepower on their side with these things, that um, they they had a way to really put the scare into somebody that they wanted to, to, to frighten into doing what it is that they wanted them to do, me to do. Well, what did they want you to do? I think it was twofold. Um, one being that they were interested in me physically in terms of, um, I would say primarily reproductive stuff, um, just to kind of put it that way. And also, I still have not been able to access what it is that they were teaching me. I had another experience several years later, um, and this one doesn't appear in my um, book that's um, out right now, but it will appear in an upcoming chapter in my newsletter about my experiences Several years later, I was asleep on the couch in the same house, and there I, I was awoken by these spotlight beams shooting through the house really rapidly. And it, it just seemed like, you know, they were like almost like police cars, you know, parked in, you know, my driveway with the, the, the flashers going. But these were just pure white lights, and the lights were just flashing all over the place. And then I noticed from laying on the couch, I didn't want to get up at first. I'm just staring at these lights. I realized that the beams seemed to be the angle of them. They were coming in through the window from the sky. 
and and I started to, to track the lights as they came through, and I'm like, this is really strange. These are lights that are zipping, spotlights that are zipping into the house from the sky, going at obviously a rapid speed. So I slowly got up off the couch, and I went to the, the door, and I, I'm seeing these spotlights move around. I, I get out onto the yard, and I'm up looking up at the sky, and I see these triangular-shaped craft just whipping by in the sky and they would come around. Um, I think I detected at least three and they, um, they moved so fast. It was hard to tell actually how many of them there were if they were just, uh, you know, making a dart across the sky and not coming back or if it was the same ones coming back again and again. And they were, yeah, the spotlights seemed to be focused on my house and they were completely silent and they could move at these just amazing speeds and I'm standing just looking up at these things. It's the middle of the night, very early morning hours. And then I get this weird feeling that I'm being watched. And so I drop my eyes from the sky into the front yard. And there parked in my front yard is this bullet-shaped, like, landing craft, it looked like. Um, pretty small, um, maybe about the size of a large tent. And uh, there's an open doorway, and there's a gray that is standing in the doorway and he has a box in his hands in front of him it looks like a book and i i psychically interpreted it as a book and i i'm like oh my gosh i gotta run in the house quick i gotta get out of here so i started to run and i started to feel very very tired i was fighting just to to stay awake and uh, the little gray guy is coming towards me i get in the house and as I and I, I shut the door behind me and I just slumped to the ground inside the house. And the thing is coming towards the house still and it's beaming to me telepathically. You must look at the book. And it was a message like there's something you have to learn. You know, you you have to absorb what is in this book. And book was the word it was using to me telepathically. I, I mean, I didn't get the impression that it was like your traditional old classic, you know, book with pages or whatever. It was some sort of um, small monolithic thing that it was holding. And it, it, it's an, it was filled with knowledge that somehow I, it was supposed to be taught to me, but I just, yeah, I, I have no idea what it is, but it, um, it didn't was look, important. What color enough for, was it? It was black. It was dark. Was I mean, if I it was another color. I've mm-hmm. seen the black box, and they were mm-hmm. holding a black box and doing something with it. So that's why I was wondering. And when you said monolithic, I went, oh, yes, you mean a black box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just this little black box, and somehow it, um, it, it, that thing was there just to somehow have the box interact with me, and I was supposed to learn from something from it. And my impression is since I slumped over and, um, you know, fell asleep that it probably just came in the house. It has, I'm, they have never had any problem getting into the house, even with a locked door. Um, yeah. They probably came in and did whatever it is that they wanted to do with me. And I just don't remember what it is. Do you, uh, do you, was, were they holding the black box? Was like one holding it, or a couple of them holding it, or what was? I only described saw. The scene? Yeah, I, I only I only saw one entity at the time, 
uh, again, um, I was awoken by these lights um, moving across the room I was asleep in. I walked outside to, to, to observe what was causing the lights, which were the triangular-shaped craft, and it seemed like almost like I was being distracted, you know, lured outside possibly and distracted by these lights in the sky while um, the gray that had uh, parked in my front yard had uh, decided to come out and, you know, have me interact with the box, and that's when I ran in the house. But uh, I, I had, you know, rapidly... Um, uh, losing energy at that point. I was rapidly losing energy and just barely made it into the house, and I'm sure I didn't escape. Yeah, because do you mean that you were about to fall asleep? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I, if, yeah. I, if, if I, if I, they probably would have just, I, I have no idea what they would have done had I just stood my ground and not tried to make a break for the house. If I would have slumped and fallen asleep in the front yard, or if they would have kept me awake because I wasn't running and it was only because I ran that I started to feel really tired. But right at the time, I'm like, oh, my gosh, got to get out of here, turned. And, yeah, I just felt drained, like maybe like I was shot like with a tranquilizer gun type of feeling. And, yeah, I, yeah. I barely made it a few steps into the house and, and, and then I was knocked out. Yeah, I when uh, people talk about this mantis figure, uh, it's – it's, I've never actually seen a mantis figure, but it mortifies me. Once in a while, I, in a dream state, will catch a glimpse of something walking funny, like it has long bent legs that are bent wrong or something like that or big black eyes, and it's uh, it's horrifying to me. So, you know, seeing this personage, is it does it frighten you or you get angry? I've had both reactions, fear and anger. I would say fear is, <clears throat> is the experience, pardon me, that I had. And um, it was just the one time, really, in, in my youth. They, I, there was uh, a prequel to that where it's very possible that one was physically inside my house in the hallway, but... Um, I never really directly um, came face to face with it, but the energy signature was was fairly similar. Right. I, I basically I was in my in my bed and um, they were trying to pull me out out of body, which they do sometimes. And and uh, <clears throat> I sensed the energy of the thing out in the hallway, and it called my name, and that was that was really terrifying. It did call your name. Mm-hmm. Wow. The, the, the thing about the, the thing about these beings too is, I have several very physical. I've had very, several very physical encounters with them. I still have a scar on my arm from an experience I had when I was seven, and um, some of the time they don't need to actually physically take me, or I would say people in general. Um, and since they are a much higher technology, I think they, they have a, a pretty good handle on how to pop in and out of the physical form. And so if they don't need to find a place to land their UFO and worry about their away team getting into the house and um, worrying about the other people in the house and how they're going to interact with them and make sure they're asleep, all the logistics that go with that, 
if they just need to connect with the um, abductee or whatever term experiencer, then why not just come out of body, pull them out out of body, and you don't have any of those issues. And so many of my experiences that were out of body, I think were just specifically because they didn't have to worry about um, any of the the physical issues. Also, um, say an individual um, is aggressive towards them, (coughs) if if all parties are in an astral form, if you want to put it that way, then... Um, they probably don't have any concern about being harmed because I think they have a, a even better control of uh, the out-of-body state. Well, this is, you know, this is really tough to me to absorb because um, I didn't know that they would be a causal for somebody to leave their body. And uh, what are they doing? How are they... How can they possibly take the consciousness of a person? Like, how does that, what do you know? Explain that to me. Because I have had Um, everything you're talking mm -hmm. about. I'm I'm an experiencer. I've experienced every single thing you're talking about, including all the psychic stuff. Um, I've experienced, uh, you know, out-of-body experiences and everything else that I've never related to a UFO experience, and now you're saying that you're aware that they have removed you from your body, but it kept your body alive while your uh, consciousness is elsewhere, right? It, it yeah yeah essentially, I think that um, if you think about that, they could possibly be from um, of an age that's much older than us and have had mm-hmm. um, hundreds of years, possibly thousands of years, maybe thousands of years at least to craft their technology, I think at some point um, what they've been able to do is something along these lines, is they developed an ability at some point, and this is all speculation based upon um you know, where I'm at with them. So I, I'm sort of backfilling a proposed history of what happened with them. Is that right. at, at some point they figured out they were a species just like us, and then they figured out, hey, you know, um, we've isolated a way to, uh, we figured out a way to isolate our consciousness from our physical form and do cool things with it. I mean, people. Um, have out-of-body experiences now, so there's no, you know, real doubt amongst those who repeatedly had this type of experience that they are actually leaving their body, their consciousness is separating. And so I think they just perfected that ability. Um, one of the things they could do is that, you know, as uh, in the area of space exploration, what a huge breakthrough it would be to to be able to just separate your consciousness and go freely looking around the galaxy or other galaxies and if they needed to actually physically visit another world how about this create uh an army of drones um i don't know army is the right word it sounds militant but you know create a, a whole bunch of drones and that don't need to breathe 
or eat or anything like that. They have some basic biological stuff about them and some sort of cybernetic stuff. And basically, you have these little puppets where you could pop in a consciousness anytime you needed to do something of a physical nature. And then once you're done with this tool, this little body, this drone, then you just pop the consciousness out. And so if you have these drones going about the galaxy, about the universe, you don't really need to, you know, you don't need to put bathrooms on the, uh, the UFO, for example. And, you know, you don't have to stock a whole bunch of food. And you could subject these bodies to all sorts of um, rigors of space travel that a normal biological entity couldn't live through. And, and it, it would create just this, huge breakthrough in being able to explore and be able to interact with other species. And so at this point, when they come to us, that if they don't need to physically take us, uh, it's so much easier to just, you know, come in an astral form and they, you know, I don't think it would be that much more of a stretch that if they're in the astral, they figured out a way to interact with us on that same level and pull us out, and this would be a reason that a lot of people have these types of encounters at night because, uh, you know, if it doesn't happen every night, it sure happens on some occasion, and it's much easier to happen to be pulled out of body. And that way, you know, they don't have to, like I said, mess with any of the, the messy physical stuff. Sometimes the physical stuff is necessary, and that's when they bring in the drones and interact with us physically and then they pop you know the drones back in their closet or whatever and you know and it's likely i think that these entities natural state is actually one of pure consciousness they just use these physical forms to be able to interact with us when it comes to uh um other beings one being the mantis I don't get that same drone-like feeling from from the mantis. I get uh, a, a much more um, um, natural feeling from them um, than than I do from the grace. For the most part, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, if the mantises were actually purely biological. Or at least they, their their drone form is much more perfected. That I, I feel that as creepy as they are, I get a much more natural feeling from them. That that sort of puppet-like, drone-like feeling that I get from the greys and hybrids, I believe are yeah are physical biological beings too. So the hybrid you meant was that? Do you feel that that was a relation to you? Yeah, my first time that I met her, I was in my early 20s, and I woke up, and there was this young woman, girl. She seemed maybe about 16. It's hard to tell. She was extremely pale, had mostly human-like eyes, but the eyes were larger um, than ours, and her hair was straw-like, and just very wayfish and extremely nervous. So I wake up and there's this girl standing in my room, nude for what it's worth, but not in any sort of alluring way, just sort of like 
um, just there and standing without any clothes. And I'm wondering why she's in the room because she seems to be more nervous of me than I am of her. Standing behind her were three gray guys, and they were clearly the ones that brought her to me, and she didn't really seem to have much to do with what was going on. They they just brought her along, and um, we had a little bit of a standoff. I'm like, okay, I, I can move. This is interesting. Okay, and we're all just kind of standing here. I'm laying in bed, that is, and they're standing there, and we're looking at each other, and mm-hmm. so I said, uh, you know, I, I'm like, you know, I'm like, what's going on? And, you know, they were tele- to them telepathically, I said, and they and they just seemed very interested. I realized that of how I would interact with this hybrid girl. And my first and my first impression is like, oh, my gosh, you know, they brought her to me to see how we would interact against her will, against her wishes, and she's not really having a good time with it. So my first, my instinct then was to try to soothe her, to calm her down, because I I felt bad for her, and I said to them, what's her name? And they replied to me telepathically, yes, yes, what's her name? What's her name? As if they wanted me to give her a name. So I picked something pleasant. I picked something nice and pleasant. I said, Angel. You know, I gave her the name Angel. And and they beamed back their delight to me. Like, yay, Angel, you gave her a name, Angel. And then I'm like, okay, what's next? And then they they seemed satisfied. They were like, okay, we got some kind of results. We're, we're cool with that. And then they went out through the wall and disappeared. Went out through the wall on the second floor of the house, I should mention. And that was the end of that experience. Several years later, I um, saw her again on board. Um, I was brought on board the craft. And she's been the only hybrid I've seen, and I've only seen her a couple times. And all of these experiences were in my early 20s. So I'm on board the craft, and she comes up to me. I clearly recognized her, but she was, you know, she had aged and a little bit, uh, and uh, she came up to me, and she started to massage my temples, and she said, this will get the blood flowing, and I, I passed out. And that's that that's my second encounter with her, as simple as it was, but that's wow. the only time I'd seen her, and it's my only hybrid encounter. Uh, what did you feel towards her? Do you remember how you felt well, the, about her? The first time it was, just like I felt sorry for her. Um, I felt bad that uh, they brought her out. It may have been the first time she was taken from wherever it was they raised her. Um, and she clearly was not comfortable in normal human surroundings. And so I felt bad. The second time I was surprised to see her. And then I was doubly surprised at how forward she was, that she had been. Um, brought up to speed with the program, and um, I don't know. Um, she still didn't have any clothes. Um, she she wasn't uh, attractive on either count. Just uh, just happened to be there in the nude, and um, you know, people probably didn't said, know why we even wear clothes. I mean, they probably don't understand what <laughs> they why we do anything we do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're trying to understand us, don't you? Could but be if they, don't, if they don't. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, the the mantis I, I, I've seen in clothes for certain, and then the beings. Sometimes I've seen them in this black sort of tight-fitting outfit, um, but not always. So it, it's got to have some sort of purpose that's still a mystery to me. Clothes are optional, I guess. And black seems to be the only color that they uh, that they like, at least in my experience. Yeah, I think everybody's experience is different with that. I have seen people that seem to be really short, stubby, and all green or blue. And, and whatever, I've just seen them almost like chest pieces. So I can't say if it was clothing. It seemed to be bunched up material or something like that. But um, I don't really see them as uh, you do. I actually see them as uh, ants, you know what I mean, the, or, mm-hmm. or bugs or birds or dogs, cats. Have you ever had a positive, you would say, a very positive encounter? Yeah. Um, And um, if I could respond to the first, your comment first, and then I'll I'll, I'll get to your question. Um, Okay. Yeah, when I describe them as drones, I often feel that the amount of energy that they put into these being the and like imagine them being consciousness and they need to take somebody physically from their room they probably don't need a full operational consciousness to do it the drones that show up as the away team i found often seem to have i wouldn't say limited intelligence but limited consciousness and they seem to be to me very much like ants and I, I I completely agree with that. It seems to be a hive mind, almost like one mind is possibly one consciousness is controlling a group of them. That you don't need five consciousness to to move five of these drones. You just need one consciousness to you know, and each of five little guys is like a finger, you know, on a hand, like you know, to go grab the person and and bring them back. And for me, I've had a fascination with ants all my life. And in fact, I, I consider them my, my spiritual animal. And I even have an ant tattoo in large part because of my experience with the, uh, um, ha- with the entity. Hey, wait a minute. Hold the horses. You have an ant tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now I know a lot of people wouldn't react like that, but, uh, the ant, they look mostly like ants to me. You know, a lot, many, many mm-hmm. times, let's put it that way. Hmm. I'm kind of shocked. When did you decide to get that ant? Ooh. Um, it was probably about 15 years ago. Um, and I, um, it was just when I had the, the, the urge to get a, a tattoo. Had I had an urge to get a tattoo 25 years ago, it probably would have been an ant. If I had an ur- my first urge to get a tattoo uh, last week, it probably still would have been the same thing. It just seemed to me the the thing to do um, to get, you know, if I was going to get a tattoo, it would have been an ant, and I did. That's incredible, really. 
for, because for, uh, the symbolism for it is so profound to a couple of us. Not everybody says that it's an ant, but I relate a lot to the way they even think that it's ant-like, that, uh, you know, they do everything together, they do it for a collective reason, you know, and they seem to be workers, not loungers. You know, they always have an agenda going, and they go about their business. Uh, the only time I've been able to read them is when I've startled them. Like they would think I was out, and then I'd open my eyes or something. That's the only time I could mm-hmm. read them being startled or having any emotion whatsoever. They're just scientifically inclined. As far as is that the way you felt about it? Sure. Yeah, all like that you're sounds feeling correct. From them. Yeah, you're feeling from them. Have you ever smelled anything? Hmm. No, I I, I know of. Well, I there's the, a sort of an ozone smell, if. Yes. And with some of the the physical experiences I've had, I know there's that that story that uh, or some people report like a wet cardboard or something. I think Strieber and some other people had remarked on that. Mm-hmm. I, that doesn't ring a bell with me, but that sort of electricity, that smell of a you know like a, a thunderstorm or something like that, oftentimes mm-hmm. will accompany a, a physical encounter. You um, had asked about a positive experience and. I don't mind um, getting into that a little bit. Um, the uh, and I could actually pick on a few, but the one I think really is the one to tell. When um, I was growing up in in my teen years, um, I, I even have a picture of what my uh, a layout of my room in the book. Um, when I was having the really terrible experiences in my teen years, I set my room up as an obstacle course. I barricaded the door somewhat. I had a fan blowing on me so that if I fell asleep and something walked in front of the fan and it disrupted the air current, I would feel it and know somebody was in the room. I would either have the TV or the radio on, always had the light on. I kept the curtains closed and the window shut all year round so that, uh, they couldn't do any sort of reconnaissance on me through the window. And um, whenever I could, I'd have the dog sleep in the room. And I also um, left all sorts of clutter all over the floor for whomever to trip over. Um, and um, out of all of these things, um, my mom, of course, who was very sympathetic, but uh, uh, on this particular point, um you know, it was really tough to convince her that the reason I had a messy room is to avoid being taken by aliens. Um, but uh, it never worked, of course, and, um, you know, they got in anyway. And so it made me feel maybe 1% better, you know, to, to have half tried. But, yeah, my obstacle course never worked. And uh, sometimes... Um, when my mom would get to a frustration point of asking me to clean my room and she would do it herself, I would, you know, walk in my room. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm not safe anymore. So I, after many years of this, in in my early 20s, I connected with uh, MUFON, the Michigan chapter, of course, um, is, the, is, is my local chapter, and I've been a member for over 20 years now. And the... Uh, State director at the time was a woman by the name of Shirley Coyne. She was gracious enough to do a series of hypnotic regressions on me, and uh, we did half a dozen. 
And the very last session that we did, um, she had me go through the normal hypnotic relaxation stuff, and I'm sitting on this lazy boy chair. She's sitting next to me, and she asks me after I've been induced to, she said, okay, um, in this session, what we're going to do is we're just going to um, allow you to select where you want to go. She had been very directive about the previous sessions we had. Okay, we're going to touch on this experience you had or that experience. But this time she's uh, just like, go wherever your mind takes you. And every time I tried to focus on one of my experiences while I was under, somehow um, I, I, w- I was having some difficulty do it, doing it. Um, and in fact, let me back up just a little bit because I'm getting ahead of myself just slightly here, where um, she said to allow my mind to go where I wanted it to go. I was having some difficulty, um, again, try, first of all, I was trying to have um, some idea of where I wanted to go, and I just couldn't. Then it seemed like the room started to get lighter. My eyes were closed. I couldn't open my eyes, and the room was getting lighter and lighter and lighter until I felt like I was bathed in this bright white light. And then it seemed like regardless of whether my eyes were open or shut, the it, it, it was irrelevant because there was such a huge, massive, blinding white light all around me, and it felt like the walls of the place, the room we were in, uh, of the we were in a trailer and a trailer home, and it felt like the walls came apart and the ceiling lifted off, and yeah. I was just in this bright white place, and I could just barely hear her at that point. Her voice was very faint, and she's saying, "You know, focus on something. You know, just." pick on anything and as I'm trying to focus on something the white light it felt would just come and bathe it just just wash it away and and I tried several different things to focus on it so that we could make a useful session but I could not it something was active in this white light this white realm this white space something was active was just pushing away any type of thought that I had of of trying to think of something and so I'm like, okay, all right, your move. I give up. Okay, what's next? You know, so I, because I sure wasn't getting anywhere, and I couldn't hear Shirley's voice anymore, and it felt like she was a million miles away, and it felt like I was not only just simply out of body, but it felt like I was outside of time. It felt like I was just in this completely other dimension. And the um, then this voice came to me telepathically and said, you know, you're always um, – looking at these experiences the wrong way. You think about them in terms of fear um, and, and all all bad things, but um, you have to look at them in a more positive way. What's happening to you isn't a bad thing. It's just the way that you're interpreting it. And um, you are concerned, we know, that we will come back and visit you again. This causes you fear. But you don't need to have a fear of a, of this mystery of whether or not we're going to come back because we are going to come back again and again and again. We are going to be with you your whole life. We are going to keep coming back. And, if, and, and we can tell you this with certainty because from where we see you, we see your entire life all at once. And then it was quiet, and then uh, it, the 
I could tell I was losing a grip on this sort of white realm and mm-hmm. the light just started to fade slightly and then I felt like I was thrown back into the chair like a sack of potatoes, just wham. And it suddenly felt like I had gained several hundred pounds and uh, it, the, everything started to darken again and it felt like the, the walls and the ceiling came back together. And I'm laying there just going, wow, that was some crazy experience. And as I'm starting to try to move a little bit, readjust back into my body, Shirley, um, who's next to me, she says, oh, you're back. She goes, I, I was wondering when you'd wake up. And uh, and, uh, and so when I sort of got out of it, I, I, I told her what had happened. And she just kind of looked at me like, wow, that was, you know, really something I didn't expect. She didn't expect me to say that. And, you know, I, I did not fall asleep. I, I completely just blasted off to someplace just, you know, of extreme high strangeness in this pure white realm and came back. And I, I'd never heard about that in the literature. Nobody ever talked about that per, on a personal level. I was just dumbfounded by it. So um, they gave me a positive message, and this is where the story gets even stranger. I get up. And I walk uh, to the bathroom, and she comes out, and her husband was laying on the couch. He had been the whole time. And as we're in a trailer, the walls are pretty thin, and I can hear them talking while I'm in the bathroom. And I hear him say to his wife, um, George Coyne, say to his wife, Shirley, he's like, they were here. And she's like, who is here? He's like, three little gray guys were here while you were doing your session. They showed up a few minutes um, after you went in, and they left right before you came out. And she's like, right here? And he's like, they were at the end of the hallway um, in their room, their bedroom. And they just showed up. I saw them. They stood their ground just at the other end of the, the, the trailer, and they waited until we were done, and then they left. And so I And I'm still in the bathroom at this point. I'm like, whoa, no. you know. Yeah. So he was... He mm-hmm. said, now he was awake. Yes. And then he said this and had memory of this whole thing. Why wasn't he part of the whatever, you know how uh, there's a certain uh, strange element that takes over the whole room? Why wasn't he part of that scenario, I wonder? Like he, it sounds like um, he was just observing from the outside. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I, I could see, like, you know, if they wanted, yeah, I, I, I get it. If they wanted to switch him off, I, I'm sure they completely could have just put him to sleep. I right. get I get the impression then it was intentional that they wanted um, him to see them. He they laid there the there. whole time. They stood there the whole time. And while Shirley and I were in the next room the whole time. So I come out of the bathroom and I, I, I go up to him. And I up to them, and I say, yeah, and they, and he, he's just kind of laying there casual. She's got this ashen look on her face, and I, I say, what's up? God. And, and she replies, oh, nothing. I'm like, are you sure? And she goes, oh yeah. And I said, you, you look like you were, you know, you, you just, uh, you know, heard, you know, some bad news or something or whatever. So, and she goes, uh, and she goes, no. She goes. And I'm like, I'm, are you sure everything's okay? And she's like, oh, yeah. And 
I didn't know what to say at that point. I, I'm like, mm. how could how could they possibly uh-huh. not fess up? Yeah, well, how could yeah, they possibly that's what not? I was just thinking, how could she not tell the truth when she's going in believing and examining you anyway? Then wouldn't she? Why would she tell the truth about the experience? How odd! You know why? Because she didn't have control over that, and it took her it took her by shock. I guess she was. And she was she was uh, startled by that. Because I think people disbelieve. I think they go in saying they're believers, and then they just, they, you know, at some level they disbelieve it. So when something comes down, I think they go into shock like we do. Because I do go into shock when I learn something new or something weird, you know, something other. Because, you know, uh, are you being taught things at a certain level? Like every time, it sounds like you're introduced to something and you get to filter that in your brain and experience it for a minute, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, the follow-up to this, and, and, and this, this yeah, ride isn't done yet. This experience, isn't, this experience isn't done yet. So I, I just didn't wow. know how to confront them on it. it, 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 it mm-hmm. You know, it, my experience in the white realm baffled me. I came out and heard what they were saying to each other. That baffled me. I came out. And they wouldn't tell me about it, and that baffled me. So I'm like, okay, I just need to leave, you know, sort this out and figure out how I'm going to deal with this. So I drove home, and um, that night um, I I hopped in the bed, and I I was like, you know, I don't need the light on. I don't need the TV or the radio. I can open the window. I can open the door. I had no fear. And and I'm laying there, and it and that that was the final bafflement of this whole thing, is that somehow, as strange as it was, their message, it worked. Maybe there was a secret post hypnotic suggestion thrown in or something. Mm-hmm. But ever since that moment, even though I've had continued experiences, I've never felt that need to put on that level of you know false protection again. Yeah. And I've been able to sleep much better, all because of that experience. Even though um, you would think, ironically, if they were going to say that they're going to come back again and again, that that wouldn't help me sleep. But somehow it worked, and I don't even know how it worked. Uh, shortly after that, um, Shirley and I, I, we never really, I mean, we sort of didn't speak after that. I didn't really know how to deal with that and I never brought it up to her and uh, then George died and she backed out of the organization before I ever really brought it up. I only saw her a couple other times after that um, and then now she's passed away as well. So I, I never, you know, heard anything more. I mean, I guess I really heard the whole story. It's just that she decided not to tell me about it. I mean, I heard, you know, they showed up in their room and they left and that seemed to be the whole story. It's just for whatever reason, they chose not to share it with me. You know, I think that they were terrified, you know what I mean? They put a block on it. It's, it's a, it's uh since you were the indicated target and then they got the fallout, so to speak, uh, being involved in the periphery, really. Uh, I think it's pretty scary for a person, you know, I could see that why they would withhold it. Cause you know, 
a lot of experiences, we're all taught to keep our journal by our bed and write these things down, right? Rarely anybody will. They just, you just, let's say you're experiencing something, as soon as you can, you cover your head with a blanket and try to go back to sleep. It's a very mm-hmm. odd reaction, you know what I mean? So maybe that's their reaction to hide and not tell you anymore and drop out. That's what it sounds mm-hmm. like to me. Because I know a lot of experiences that actually drop out of this whole thing and refuse to talk mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, um, they so do you have had any... a life... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, she at least had had a lifetime of experiences, and I know he had several. I'm not sure how far back his went, but both of them had had definitely their share of experiences, so they were uh, up to their necks in it as well. Yeah. Hmm. You know, but some people think that if you withdraw from others, it may be it'll lessen your chance of being exposed uh them, I don't know. I One time I put a bookcase against the door thinking I could keep them out. And that's a very strange reaction. Right. You know what I mean? Do you need to get a drink of water or something? <clears throat> sorry, yeah, you hear me coughing. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, that's okay. Go get some water if you need to get some water. Um... <laughs> Okay, There's, do you have any physical ailments or recovery that you think has to do with your contact with uh, these beings? Um, <coughs> well, I have... Um, <clears throat> it, this is this is funny because you, you hear me coughing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Go get a, something to drink. Okay. If you don't mind, I'll be back in just a second. Yes. Okay, we're just going to take a little break while he gets something to drink. And uh, thank you, everybody, that's in the chat and listening. I wasn't able to get in the chat for uh, a while, and everybody's little by little coming in, so I'm not sure if there's more people there or not because I don't want to reboot or anything. But uh, technically, we have only had one or two little glitches. But... Was speaking with Bill tonight about his experiences and also his book. Let me see, I was reading, um, let's see. I want something to ask him after we get to this physical part of this is that uh, me and my best friend uh, very recently saw this very strange cylinder-shaped cloud in the sky. And I was watching it for a while, and it sep- then the cloud, you know how they dissipate? Well, this little cylinder, little strange cloud uh, kind of was caught out there, and it didn't dissipate. And I made it actually over to my friend's house, picked her up. I said, you got to come see this cloud. And we both were in traffic watch- watching this cloud go by itself very slowly to the left, uh, trying to act like a cloud, but it wasn't. It was actually a cylinder. It looked very strange. And then she said, "Well, I guess it got caught out here, and I have to. It can't zip away. It was just moving slow away. We thought it was pretty funny. I've seen all different kind of shaped things. We saw my my first UFO. I saw it with her, and it was actually a, a ship. You know, like um, about the size of a VW. And uh, I'll never forget it. But it looked like a really, really puffed up, just the outer line shape of it, like a like let's say you had one of those cartoon airplanes." And then keep puffing it up as far as you could, and that's actually the shape looked like. 
like round in the middle, and it kind of had two sort of wings, and uh, it didn't have any windows, no sound, no bolts, no anything. It was kind of a grainy medium gray, and then I saw one two, three months ago, and I was talking uh, coincidentally to a friend who will not come out because of uh, his experiences, and we were just, I was talking to him, I looked up and I saw a round, that one round silver, very shiny ball spinning in the air and uh, going across the, the sky in broad daylight. It was really shocking to me because what I had seen before was at dusk, but it wasn't reflecting anything at all. This one was very shiny and it was rolling. It wasn't like flying. It was flying, but it was rolling and that was the mechanism of its flying, I guess. I don't know. And then I've seen the cloud. My best friend's seen a triangle. It was that big, huge one over Texas. She just happened to be there with her husband, and they both saw that triangle. And she said it was so dense and so black, it blocked out the whole sky, which is uh, very unusual. And then uh, she couldn't see the stars underneath it. That's how she could judge how big it was. And then she said, all of a sudden, it looked like the cold, the corners closed in. I don't know if you see those paper little triangles with messages when you're a kid. She said it folded in just like that and it snapped and it popped, you know, shut and then it took off, you know. So it changed inside from several football fields down to a triangle, folded in and left. And she and it wasn't a flare like the people authorities were saying. But anyway. Bill, you there? I'm just yes, I am. chatting away. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for that. You know what's you know what's funny is I was about to tell you when you asked about um any sort of physical issues or yeah. benefits, I was about to tell you about my remarkable immune system that um I guess the universe as a joke decided to throw a coughing fit at me to That's to uh, argue the point. <laughs> but um but yeah, I, I have a, a remarkable recovery time um on the on on diseases, uh, my whole family gets sick around me, and it doesn't seem to affect me. I I'm not I'm not completely sick proof, but um, I I have a much better immune system than you know anybody I know in my in my family. And I went for years um, in my in my working years um, without ever calling in sick, and then until I realized, like, well, you know. Um, you know, I, I should start calling in sick because otherwise I'm not going to get uh, as many days off as my coworkers have. So I got to actually enjoy a lot of sick time when I was younger. Huh? Cool. Well, you have to rest also. That's part of, you know, you taking care of yourself is resting. So and while we're in that, what kind of work do you do? Um, right now I work at a community college. I um, do testing for um, placement testing for incoming students. Oh, cool. So that's exciting. Everybody buzzing around testing and doing everything. Um, yeah, it's, um, I think it's uh, one thing, like I can see some positives coming out of this because uh, um, you sound like you have a real handle on this, Bill, and that you've been able to process it. As a female, I've had so many, uh, shown, I've been shown so many hybrids that I have been, Basically, is why I reached out to, I, I go to Ciro International, I'm a member there, and I go to their support group. And do you know Ciro, C-R with Yvonne Smith? You know who I'm uh, talking no. about? Okay. 
Anyway, um, I was referred to her because uh, I had been getting so much, like, trauma feeling, like, uh, you know, I was just traumatized. I wrote a letter to Harvard, and John Mack wrote me back and told me that he would take me in a minute. He believed me. Believe me, when I sent that that uh, letter, I really thought, you know, the men in black were going to come get me. I really did. I had a morbid fear of uh, our government and the military coming to get me. And when I mailed it, I wanted to get it back really fast. You know, like, oh, my God, I can't get that out of there. It was pretty horrible. But when I heard from Dr. Matt, you know, God rest his soul, uh, he really, he he, uh, turned me on to Yvonne Smith, who was in, actually she was in college then to get her hypnotherapy degree. But now she uh, founded this group, and I've been going there for 21 years. And I'm one of the founding members, let's say, you know, and... uh, it's uh, really helped me, but I, I was—I've come from such an area of trauma. I had one good experience this whole time, and it had to do with, uh, oh gosh, a few months ago now, three or four months ago, of uh, almost like another odd race of beings, like cats. Hmm. It, sh- it shocked me, and I saw them. And when I went to call my friend in the morning, because these, these loving cats were outside trying to get in, but they were like tall cats. Because everything we see is kind of short, huh, like three or four feet tall. It's like that's mm-hmm. what they, they were that tall. But they were they were fuzzy blue, big blue eyes. And um, I let them in. And then um, mm-hmm. I called my best friend in the morning, and I hugged one. I mean, really, it was like a love. They loved me. I loved them. And I wanted to keep them. I thought they were cute. And I called my best friend the other morning, the next, very next morning, sorry. And uh, I told her, I said, I had these blue cats. She said, wait a minute, don't tell me. She said, I was over at your house. You had these two blue cats. She tried to give me one. And then we realized her mm-hmm. husband was standing out on the, the back <clears throat> lawn here. And he was on his cell phone looking straight down, so he wasn't looking at us. So he doesn't have a memory of any blue cats. But we do. Hmm. And then, of course, we do the thing like Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, you know, the mashed potato thing. We were doing the blue cats in the dark, striped blue. Okay, they're fuzzy blue, but darker, straight blue, and big blue eyes. So she went and found a jacket and showed up at Denny's. That's where we meet and hang out and talk. And uh, she showed up in this dark blue straight. I said, I know why you're wearing that coat. She said, yep, the cats. Hmm? So then, I know this sounds ridiculous. It sounded ridiculous to us. Until I put it together, I told her at my support group, um, I said, talked about it, nobody gave me any reaction because nobody had said anything about any cats or anything. So uh, I said it at the group level, no no uh, response. And then I, then I realized, you know, thousands of years ago, the Egyptians used to worship cats. And I went, oh, my God, it's like the cat people. Uh Maybe mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. a foundation for what I've seen. That if they saw what I saw and had the reaction that I did, they would of course worship cats or have a cat person. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't that strange? Mm-hmm. Now it makes mm-hmm. sense, doesn't it? And they do paint uh, some of those things blue. Those statues blue, like blue in the face of that one cat god. I don't know if it's Osiris or or who. Anyway, that's yeah, my, yeah, part yeah. of my story. Hmm. Okay, so another thing, I'm giving you these questions here. 
have you, I haven't, uh, it's kind of calmed down lately, but I have had in my life an extreme amount of electrical issues, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I'm very cautious with the show, what I touch when I'm doing the show, because things could blow up. But did you ever have, like, blowing out light bulbs or any kind of electrical problem <clears throat> with the house computers or... Sure, I, you know I'm one of many who have the, the the light bulb thing. You you know you're driving yeah. down the street and the lights you know go out under you, or um, <clears throat> a lot of lights in the house um, will change a bulb, and I'll walk in the room and the light will go off. You know the bur- the bulb will burn out even though we'd only put it in a couple of days earlier. What I what I also have, and to me, um, I, I find this to be. Um, Possible, I wouldn't say unique because I always find somebody else who's had the same type of thing that I've experienced as many times in my life where I'm like, geez, I've never heard of this before. Um, I have an odd um, thing where I connect with a piece of technology, <clears throat> like a computer, a cell phone, um, tablet, you know, just any sort of piece of uh, electronic equipment. If if I'm the primary user, I, I form a bond with it so mm-hmm. that if somebody else tries to use it, it breaks. Um, Interesting. That um, people will, you know, ask to use um, my, you know, they'll say, oh, can I use your phone? I'll give them the phone, and it'll lock up, and it, it just won't work. Or I can tell them people have been on my computer, even though there doesn't seem to be any outward indication and uh, I'll look at, like, the you know, the search history and say, oh, somebody's been, you know, and, and I don't mean, like, some outside malicious force, just somebody, um, there, they'll pe- there's, you know, people that will hop on the computer, even my work computer, um, right. where it will it will start to develop issues if somebody else or flat out won't work, or I can tell when somebody's, um, you know, been on this piece of equipment, where, yeah, I, somehow I form links with uh you know, um, technology where, you know, I'm not the one breaking it, but other people will come along and, and break it, you know, uh, you know, just by sitting down to, to use it just for the very first time, somehow something will happen. I get that quite a bit. Wow. That's a pain in the neck. Are you <laughs> able to fix them or do you have to call in a check to do it? It'll it'll depend on the problem. Like say with the cell phone, I actually had to pop the battery out and put it back in to get it to work, and that was the first time I'd ever had to do it. And the yeah. same thing had happened with that phone um, a couple other times, where it would freeze up when other people, and it was never the same person. Uh, there were, pardon me, excuse me, a couple family members who would come over the house and say, "Hey, can I use your computer really quick?" And yeah, you know, screwy things would happen, and and I was just like, "Yep." You know, this, this this happens when other people try to use my computer, and they always take it personally, like, "Oh, you're just, you know, you're just sour grapes because you know you're, you're blaming funny, me yeah. for it." Like, oh, no, it's just, um, you know, sorry I said anything, but uh, it does tend to be the case. I think it's true because uh, people will know. Well, okay, so I have a light switch that I'm the only one that knows how to turn it on because we're trying to flip it on and it won't come out. I go, okay, let me do it. And they go, you know, you have a really weird thing with a slight switch. So I have to really focus on just flipping the switch, and then it comes on. So that's a, I think I agree with you, and I don't like anybody using my computer at work. So the techie today, yesterday, yesterday was Thursday, 
keep putting a new computer for everybody else in the office so I can just lock mine up. Because I'm really tired of people going in there and they do break my computer all the time. I just didn't, I didn't realize this was a normal thing uh, going on with those experiencers. I knew it was something because um, he said, "Okay, you do, uh, you do um, what um, you do what you ordinarily do when this thing, when this malfunction happens." So I did. I could repeat it, and the malfunction did happen. He said, "You do have a, like a malware, a mal, you know, a, what do you call it?" Malware, malware, malevolentware, mm-hmm. and uh, it was what I said, you know, because I so I could read, I could see what somebody had been doing, and they were going on different things and clicking all over the place, you know. So hopefully it won't happen because that really stalls me. Always a couple of days it took them three days to get out there this time, <coughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So and I, I, okay. I have a, a close. Go ahead, Bill. Sorry, I have a close friend who has just tremendous electrical issues at at her house. Um, She's, um, what was interesting, there was a time where she was having issues with her cell phone. Her mother was having issues with her cell phone. Her daughter was having issues with her cell phone. All three had different providers and and they were just having all sorts of bizarre electrical issues at their house and with their computers and everything like that. And it could still be ongoing. Um, it's not really my story to tell, but yeah, I know somebody who's really heavily affected by the electrical thing. Yeah, and it does happen. Even my kids say, because you know, it's not till I've been older now, because I'm on like the last quarter of my life, and uh, it's not till I'm older that now I've realized, you know, my uh, experiences, and uh, then I have a lot of psychic experiences too that <clears throat> have affected my family. Like my kids say, when they go down the street and the light pops out, they're like, oh, God, Mom's mad about something. You know, they think of me. And then I was, like, uh, realizing recently uh, that my ex, I think what was going on with me did affect him. You know, Mm -hmm. our last conversation involved uh, him acknowledging that I had that skill, you know, like the plane spotters in World War II. They could actually psychically see planes and know they're coming even before they're on radar, even what kind of planes they are, what they look like, what color they are. And I have mm-hmm. always been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I can tell a car from many lines up. You know, if I just get a glimpse of a fin or something like that, I know what it is. But I don't think guys really like that talent. <laughs> they're wrong. <laughs> so I think that's why it affected him. I said, you know, that's a testerini up there. He went, yeah, right. It's a testerini. I said, I'm telling you, it's a testerini. You can't even see it. It's all many cars up. I said, well, I kind of look at the fin back there. I think it's a testerini. He pulled behind it. Yeah, it is a testerini. He just looked at me like, you know, I don't know. Men don't like it. So I kind of curtailed that little knack. Because <laughs> it's like you're a know-it-all and you're a wizard about everything. You know what I mean? Nothing is mm-hmm. as it appears to be, which it really isn't. Think about that. Mm-hmm. So, do you have certain psychic abilities? Let's talk about that if you want to. Um, sure. And they, uh, <coughs> let me, um, uh, start with a, a very minor thing and it's in my book actually. It's uh, one friend of mine 
in high school when we would have, we always had lunch together. And there were several times where I would dream about what he was having for lunch the next day. And sure enough, he would be eating what I, what I dreamt about him having for lunch. I even told him about this once and he just seemed nonplussed. And he's like, oh, all right, whatever. And um, he didn't really think it was that interesting. However, <clears throat> I'm like, well, how come I'm not dreaming of lottery numbers? How come I'm dreaming of what Pat is going to have yeah. for lunch the next day? Um, but, yeah, there there have been a number of uh, other interesting things that <clears throat> had happened that were more meaningful to me. Um, several years ago, it was uh, 96, actually, I was in New Orleans with a, a bunch of friends for Mardi Gras. And I, it was about two in the morning and I got separated from my friends on Bourbon street. And when I, I, you could, all you need is to, you know, just a few seconds separation from your friends and you'll never find them again. <laughs> uh, that's, during the height of Mardi Gras, the street is just yeah. jam packed with people and so much activity. So I'm like, all right, it's two in the morning. Um, I lost my friends. The, the The drill was if anybody got separated, we all knew the way back to the hotel. Well, under normal circumstances, I would know the way back to the hotel, but it was I was very tired, and, of course, I had some hurricanes, and so I ended up walking down the wrong way uh, and <laughs> um, walking exactly the opposite direction of the hotel. <clears throat> and I soon found myself and a, a part of New Orleans that looked fairly run down and um, got a really bad vibe all of a sudden that I'm like, oh my gosh, I went the wrong way. This area isn't safe. And here I am by myself looking like your typical Mardi Gras Yahoo with the, the beads and just completely out of it. I had victim written all over me. So I decided to turn around and walk back to the in the the direction of Bourbon Street, knowing that once I got to the other side of the Bourbon Street, to walk the other direction back to the hotel, whatever. So here I am, still in the bad part of town. I turn around and I start to walk back when I hear somebody yell and come out of an alley, yelling at me like, "You, you wait right there. Don't go anywhere. Stay right there." And I'm like, "Oh, geez." I'm like. It's not like I'm going to run, outrun anybody in the in the condition I'm in. So I stayed there, and he got up to me, and he he looked like yeah he's a pretty tough guy, and uh, he got up right in my face, and he goes, "Do you know who I am?" And <clears throat> my mind, of course, the the gears are running. Like, how do I respond to the situation? But my mouth didn't have any hesitation. It just <laughs> came right out. It just came right out, and, you know, oh. so he goes, and he, so, of course, he says, you have any idea who I am? And my mouth just lights up and says, yeah, you're butter. And then I'm like, my, then my mind freezes. I'm like, what on earth did my mouth just do? Because it, it was completely independent of what I was thinking, but somehow he, the guy asked, do you know who I am? And my mouth said, yeah, you're butter. And I'm like, that was stupid. And I started to feel more afraid than ever. But the guy, he instantly eased up, and he had this relaxed look on his face. He's like, it's not butter, it's buster. He goes, it's buster. And and and, and I'm like, 
okay. And he was in and he was completely calm with me at that point and he's like, Well, what can I get you? And then I realized he's a drug dealer. And and so and he probably thought somebody told me, Hey, you know where to get good drugs, go and find Buster, he's this way and so when I went down there and, and I said that he like I said, he probably thought somebody sent me to look for him to buy something off him. And and instead of telling him like, you know, the truth, because <laughs> that would have been weird. Um, I said, well, I said, you know, I'm not really in the mood for anything anymore. I said, you know, it, it's just too late now, and I just am tired. I need to get back to my hotel. He's like, which hotel? And I told him, he's like, oh, you went the wrong way. And he's and so he goes, let me walk you back to Bourbon Street. So he's walking back, and he's like, oh, how's your trip? You know, <laughs> oh, you're with friends. You having a good time? Well, if you know anybody, send them my way. You know, and and everything, and so he, yeah, he walked, he escorted me back to Bourbon Street, and I went back to the hotel, and oh yeah, uh, along the way, before we even got to Bourbon Street, some other guy came walking um, down the street from the other direction, and he's like, Buster, Buster, and the guy says, I'll be with you in just a minute, can you wait here, I'm, I'm helping out a friend, he said, so his, he actually went by Buster, and um, um, somehow my mouth pulled from the universe, um, something yep, that saved my neck. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I've heard uh, several people talk about strange things uh, happening to them in uh, uh, New Orleans, and uh, and then specifically on a corner near where you're talking about, that they said that they were abducted from that corner, and they were all returned. There were three, I guess, that got abducted. And they were all returned back to the corner again. But... Uh, my uncle was going through there, uh, gosh, back in the Depression, and he said he had a very strange experience of the of everything turning so black that he got disorientated and had an odd feeling he was going to fall off the earth, so he laid down on the ground. And then a very odd person came and picked him up, I mean, just out of this weird blackness and fog. Just drove by, opened the car door from his driver's side, reached his arm around, and then the last thing he knew, he was uh, in a coffee shop having a cup of coffee by himself, sitting at a counter. And I was uh, talking to my Uncle Louie about this. And then I said, you know, Uncle Louie, he said, it's a weird thing. He said, never heard this before. And I said, Uncle Louie, that happened to me. Hmm. Hello, are you still there? Hello? Hello, if you're there, I can't hear you. Hello, Bill? Hey, Bill. Are you still there? Hello? Bill, are you there? I don't know if we're live or not. Bill, are you there? Hello? I can't, you know, our sound is suddenly out. I still can see the bills on the line. But, Bill, if you can hear me, could you uh, hang up and call me back? Hello? I'm hearing absolutely nothing, so I'm really going to say I'm sorry to everybody tonight. I don't know. 
have any idea what's going on here. I can't hear anything, and I can't get people to tell me if they can hear anything. And I'm I'm trying to get him back in, so I'm going to dial. Bill, are you there? Hello? Hello? Hello, this is um, it's it's the blog. It's it's Blog Talk Radio. We're having a very strange anomaly on here tonight that I actually am having a hard time uh, maintaining the connection for the show, so I'm not sure you can even hear our guests at this point or hear me, and uh, it's just odd. I don't know if we were just talking about electronics and having an electronic problem and uh, how strange that we're now having a, a serious connection problem. So if we're still recording and it says that we're still on air, you know, I want to apologize to my guest tonight. And uh, he has been uh, telling us about his personal story, uh, Bill Kokonkolinsky, the straight director of the Michigan chapter of the MUFON UFO Network. And uh, he's just uh, is an amazing guy. And I want you to get his book, um, UFO... Uh, experience or raised in two worlds in nonfiction autobiography, and you can reach and get that book on Amazon. And if I can get him, you know, here, I think that'll be helpful too. Um, you know, I just uh, I don't know if people hear me. He's gone, so let me try to get back in. So I'm going to reboot this so-and-so, and I'm very sorry about this tonight. I'm just, uh, anything that happened on this. So, you know, we've had a lot of outages across the United States, and the show could be affected by that. And I know that we've been he- hearing him loud and clear till right now. So I'm actually uh, cleared my cache, and I'm going back in to try to start this up again. You know, so maybe we'll hear our guests. And I feel bad because uh, he could, I can't hear him talking anymore. So anyway, it's now 7.36 Pacific Standard Time. And we ran for an hour and a half without too bad of problems. So um, anyway... In case we're still recording, I just want to tell you, next week our guest will be Frank Lobato. He's a talented medical professional who's assisted by his daughter, who actually is on the other side. And Jackie Barrett will be joining us for the second half of the show. And just remember that the party on the Queen Mary is tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Queen Mary is actually docked in uh, Long Beach, California. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful aboard the ship. They have really great things going on over there. And I wanted to just let you know that's what we're going to be, and we're very happy we have this thing every year. And, uh, you know, it's really awesome that we can all dress up and be together and act like real people in the world. And 
you know, most of us are experiencers. Once in a while, an astronaut will join us, and, you know, it's pretty incredible. And especially, like, you know, if you're sitting there, you can watch the water and the boats out there. You just see the shore of Long Beach, and it's a it's a beautiful setting. The dinner is 60 bucks. I there might be room at uh you know at a table that you can go get you know sneak in there and get dinner with us and or sit by us or whatever. But if you want a gift, bring a gift for the gift exchange. And, you know, I would suggest it 25 years 25 years 25 uh, dollars or more for the gift. So don't bring any used kind of baloney that you're going to pass off to somebody else. Get them something really nice. So anyway, so we'll be they'll be over there and. Uh, it's uh, going to be a beautiful night. So um, right now I'm going to reboot. I'm going to try to go back in and at least get a hold of our, our speaker who uh, has been rudely cut off by this this blog talk uh, issue, which is probably a connectivity issue because of all the storms nationwide. We've got uh, our speaker who's in Michigan, and then me and I'm in California, and we've been having some difficulties here. So... As again, we'll be here at the same time next station in um, L.A. And uh, what I'm doing is rebooting my computer now. So at least I can get on there and say goodbye to him. And if not, I'm going to call him back in person and, and tell him that we got cut off. And uh, we were just talking about technical difficulties, too, and uh, this thing happened. And that's happened many times when we have uh, people who seem to have telekinesis of some kind or Maybe it's just a glitch in the system. I have no idea, but it's very embarrassing and irritating. So, okay, I'm starting all over again. All my connections look alive to me. I don't know why this is going on, but let me see if everybody hasn't hung up on me by now. I just uh, wish you all Godspeed. I hope you have a very happy holidays. You know, try to do something constructive if you're by yourself. Uh, maybe it's time to volunteer somewhere so you're not stuck by yourself. You haven't got family around, you know. You don't have to keep busy. And uh, someday I'm going to start having an orphan party for people that don't have anywhere to go for uh, Christmas or anything like that. Um, and the holidays are a hard time for a lot of us. And I'm just going to keep everybody in my mind as a very positive thinking. You know, that they be happy and have a good holiday. And let's see. And I'm really looking forward to Frank Lobato next week. I'm just trying. What I'm doing is stalling so I can get in here just one more time and see if it's alive. It is live. It's saying that we're live and we're talking. So me being a sort of a blabbermouth, I can keep talking all about all to myself and by myself. So let's see what's going on here. I'm actually in the front of the page where I see whatever thing that you guys see. Yep, I'm out in the cold right here. Okay, so I'm trying to get back in the studio. That's where I'm at now. Let's see, testing, testing, I'm trying to get in. And remember, I do a little Bible study, 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time on Sunday morning. So we're working our way through Acts and working our way through the whole Bible, actually. We're almost done with Acts. So it's all very interesting. I get very involved over there. So 
you're very welcome to attend that with us too. Well, I can't even make the connection anymore. So, let's see. Trying. Okay, so I can't seem to get back in the studio, so I'm going to have to say goodnight and uh, God bless you and sweet dreams. And please connect with us on the Paranormal Sacred. You can find us on Facebook and you can like the show there and, and then I'll, well, then you can friend the, the thing and I'll act, add you to the list. And uh, just come back next week and I wish you all well and God bless you. Good night.